Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. It's Season 2, Episode 12, How to Religious, Supporting Friends Who Are Joining Religious Life. On the podcast today, I interview my good friend, Jeff Stevens, on how to help those in religious discernment. After serving for two years with Focus, Jeff has spent time in discernment with the religious community and in an Archdiocesan seminary. On this episode, we'll talk about what to say and do for those thinking about entering religious life or seminary, how to help them once they're in, and how we can best serve them if they decide to leave. Jeff also has a great hack and highlight for us and shares what interesting outfit he has on during the interview. Stay right here. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Kevin here, and today I have a special guest to talk about religious life, my friend Jeff Stevens. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm super excited to be on the podcast today for two reasons. Okay. One, one is I'm just excited to be on, on the podcast, but two, I have a surprise for you. Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> this is what I was mentioning before, before we started recording. Oh. But okay. So this, this is the great thing about being interviewed for radio or a podcast is that nobody knows what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. It's true. It, it, you could literally be wearing anything yep. and nobody would know. So last night I went on a little adventure I went to first. I went to Walmart, which I don't know if I can say that on the show. So uh, how about I went to this large shopping center where they pay old people to greet you, and I went to the the adult men's section. I couldn't find what I was looking for, mm-hmm. so I went to the next unnamed store and I found what I was looking for, and I purchased a large adult men's pajama onesie, and I'm literally wearing it on the show right now as we speak. Wow, that. That says a lot. I mean, I was going to ask you to explain a little bit about you, but I feel like that gives us a great start to this episode. I, what, I just can you it, for the listeners this at is my home. Gift. What, what this color? Is my gift. What color is it? Well, it's the design is Chewbacca, so I, oh. I am literally Chewbacca right now. Does it have a uh, kind of a head portion of it, or is it just it, more the furry part below? It has a, a hoodie, and it has it's it's like a hundred percent. I don't know polyester fleece. It's like super warm, and uh, I'm I'm sitting I'm sitting at the the base of our steps in the basement here at the the condo where I live with another priest. Yeah, and I'm just if he if he peeks his head down the stairs here, I I don't know what's going to happen. I I might get kicked out of seminary or something. I have a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, but, oh sure, but hey, you're, it's it's worth the risk apparently. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well. <laughs> Jeff, I think that tells us a lot about you, but if you want to give us a little bit more about your background, that would be fantastic. Sure, sure, yeah. So besides the onesie, yeah. I graduated from the University of Cincinnati in 2012. I did two years with Focus with none other than Kevin Cotter and, and the whole gang there. And uh, then I, I left Focus. I discerned a religious vocation with the Dominicans for about seven months, discerned out, then I got hired at a local pregnancy center in Cincinnati as a chastity educator. So I was going around to local grade schools and high schools giving chastity presentations. And after about a year and a half of that, I, I discerned to go to seminary. So I 
did that about a year ago, and I just finished my first year of seminary this past year. And now I'm at the bottom of the steps in the basement in this Chewbacca onesie. That's fantastic. That's- uh, I think, yeah, that helps people understand a little bit more and why uh, you're such a great guest for the show. To talk about relig- religious life, because you've, you've kind of seen it, not quite all, but you've seen, yeah, obviously being in the Dominicans for seven months, and then on into, uh, you know, diocesan seminary as well. So in, out, you've got got all the experience. I'm really excited uh, to talk to you today about all this. As you mentioned, we worked with uh, Focus together. You didn't mention that I was actually your boss for at least a year. And your boss's is, boss, yeah. <laughs> this is very true. Best boss I ever had. Oh, wow. And, yeah. That's great. And one of my uh, favorite stories, maybe you could tell it better, was when you first met Curtis Martin, you had a request for him, the founder sure, of Focus. Sure. Right. Well, I met him at my first summer training. We're down, actually, we were up in uh, Champaign Urbana at the time. Oh, yeah. And Curtis Martin shows up. I had no involvement in Focus in college, so I was new to it all, but I was also sort of in awe of all the Catholic celebrities showing up. Jeff Cavins, Curtis Martin shows up. And it was it was Father's Day, I believe. And so I went up to Curtis. I'd never approached him before in my life. And I was like, hey, hey Curtis, uh, could you send a, could you record a video wishing my dad happy father's day? He's a big fan of yours. He'd love it. And Curtis was like, great. You know, what's your name? I introduced myself. And so then I, I held up the phone and started recording and Curtis says, Hey, Hey Bob, that's my dad's name. Hey Bob, I just want to thank you for giving us Jim here to, to, as a focus missionary and happy father's day. And uh, after it was recorded, I didn't really think much of it at the time. I just kind of sent it to my dad. Well, a couple months later, when I started up at the digital campus with you and Jonathan Texera, I showed Jonathan the video, and he was like, Jeff, Curtis called you Jim. (laughs) No, no, you're kidding. But sure enough, he called me Jim. And for the next two years in focus, I was no longer Jeff Stevens. I was Jim Stevens. That's right. That's that's, that's the story, Jim Stevens. So yeah, that was yes. yeah great. I love that story, uh, and I, I just love how you didn't realize it for two months, and that you sent it to your dad. Even your dad seemed like he never. I, I wonder if your dad knew that and just let it go, or like didn't hear it, didn't hear the Jim part. I, yeah, he he probably was like Jim, Jeff, you know, whatever. It's just my son, you know. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's I awesome. don't know. Well, today on our show, we're gonna look at three ways to help people. Uh, who are entering into religious life. And along the way, Jeff, I kind of want to get a little bit more of your story as well, because I think as we hear your story and walk you through these three ways, uh, people are going to understand just through your own experience how we can better support uh, those friends and family members that we know who are entering into religious life. So maybe if you want to start us off a little bit uh, on our first step, and and that's that discernment process. What did that process look like for you? And then we'll kind of dive in uh, after that into what are some helpful ways as people go through that discernment process. Yeah, so step one, how to discern religious life. And in order to discern religious life, you have to know what religious life is, of mm. course. And this this was like the first thing that, that I had to try to figure out. If, if I had to try to summarize religious life, I'd say it is the eternal life lived in the here and now. Hmm. Because we won't be married in heaven. So it's like a a picture right now of what that will be like. Precisely, precisely. And I I heard a story when I was in the Dominican novitiate. The details are kind of fuzzy, but the the heart of the story is true. It paints an excellent picture of what religious life is. There was a particular bishop 
who would have to travel across the country quite often for meetings and different functions. And he would always stop about halfway at, at a Dominican priory. He'd stay the night, wake up the next morning, and complete his travels. So on one particular visit, he was brought up into one of the friar's rooms, the, the friar's cell where, where the friar lives. And it, this was known to be a very holy and humble particular friar. So the bishop walks in and <gasps> there's nothing in the room. There's there's like a bed on one side and a desk with a Bible on it on the other. And that's it. Hmm. And the bishop is like, is, is this all you have? And the friar was like, yeah, that's, that's all I got. And then the friar pointed at the suitcase that the bishop was holding in his hand, and he said, well, look, I mean, that's that's all that you have, just one luggage. And the bishop was like, yeah, but I'm just passing through. And the friar said, well, aren't we all just passing through? Hmm. As to say that this, this life that we're in now is only temporary, and our final destination is in heaven. And a religious is somebody who says, I'm going to live this life here and now, in a way that is as close as I can possibly get to the life that I will someday live in heaven. Hmm. And so that that involves living in community with a bunch of other religious, because we'll be with everybody in heaven, and religious take the vow of poverty. They don't have a lot of material things, because we really won't need those material things as much in heaven. They take the vow of chastity, like you said, neither married or given in marriage, because that's how it's going to be in heaven. Yeah. And they take the vow of obedience, surrendering their will to God through their superior because in heaven, that's what it's going to be, our will totally unified with God's will. Yeah, so it seems like this this process of discernment isn't just, um, all right, uh, what does this look like for my own life? But even just even understanding what religious life is. I mean, just trying to like grapple with what you're discerning before you even discern it as well. It seems like that's a little bit from your, yeah, from that story. Just, just trying to get to the root of what religious life is, is really important. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And and most, then when people learn what religious life is, I think most people don't start taking it seriously till roughly their 20s, which was the case for me. I was 23 when I started to think about it. And uh, and so they're they're thinking about it in their their twenties. Unless you're like some prodigy, like Saint Maximilian Kolbe, who had this vision when he was 12 years old of the Blessed Virgin Mother, handing holding out to him a white crown and a red crown. The white represented perseverance and purity. The red represented martyrdom. And the Blessed Virgin Mother said, Maximilian, would you accept one of these? And he said, I'll take both. <laughs> and then a year later, he entered the Franciscans at the age of 13. Oh, wow. And it's like, man, when I was 13, I, I wasn't choosing between celibacy and martyrdom. It was like, should I take the moon pie or the, the fruit roll up? You know, it's like, I, I, I'll take both. You know, that's what the saints would do. <laughs> I so most people don't think about both. it till their 20s. And the problem is, is that what happened before that in their teens is that members of the opposite sex began mm. to become very, very attractive to them. Yep. And so they've been thinking about marriage for a couple years, but then they're opened up to the religious life because they've been praying a lot. They've been growing serious in their faith, and they find themselves on this seesaw, uh, marriage up one moment, religious life up the next, marriage up one moment, religious life up the next. Mm. And, and they're really torn. They don't know what to do. It's very tough. Yes. What 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 would be helpful for someone who's in that situation? Again, they're realizing what religious life is. You know, there's this kind of on the fence. I'm torn back and forth. Um, you know, I know in my own conversations with you, uh, just like most people, just trying to figure things out. What do you think is the most helpful as people are going through that process, that discerning? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, I have a friend who was just a Franciscan postulant. 
And he just left. And I asked him recently, hey, what's, what is the most important thing in discerning religious life? He said, this, this is the most important thing. This is the easiest and fastest way to get yourself off of that seesaw or off of your fence. And he quoted Father Dave Pavanka, the okay. TOR Franciscan, yeah. who said this. He said, give up that which you want to know for the one who wants to tell you. Give up that which you want to know for the one who wants to tell you. Meaning, stop worrying about it. Just chase after God because God knows you and he knows what you want to know and he wants to tell you what you want to know. So just chase after him in prayer and in loving God, loving your neighbor. Chase after God. Don't worry about the big decision. And if you do that in the midst of it, God will reveal to you his call for your life. That's good. Firmly believe that. Yeah. So so practically as people are kind of torn between and we're maybe a little bit on the sidelines, maybe trying to cheer them on, I, I feel like a lot of lady... Like, oh, like, there's this, like, leaning in lady to, like, become a religious. Like, we need religious. And so sometimes we can, like, um, yeah, overdo it, I think, on one side, which seems hypocritical is not the right word. But it seems, obviously, as lady, we didn't become religious. But we're like, don't you think religious life's the best? Like, why aren't you becoming a priest, you know? And sometimes we can kind of nag at people. But it seems like, yeah, from your example, maybe the best encouragement we can give people is just to... Love, continue to love the Lord and find ways for them to love the Lord more, whatever that's helpful to them. And then, yeah, have them choose that and then just give them the confidence that in doing so, they'll come to a decision. Do you think that's that would be helpful? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so, you know, people discerning religious life, uh, important to cheer them on, to encourage them to love the Lord, and, uh, yeah, to find that and maybe not just... Uh, shame them into it, or you need to be a religious, kind of transitioning on to living out religious life when people go off to religious life or to seminary. Why don't you walk us through a little bit your own story and experience with that, and then we can look at, uh, again, some practical ways that we can help people in those spots. Sure, yeah. So, like I said, I was about 23 when I started to think about the religious life. And when I first started to think about religious life, I was drawn to a particular order, specifically the Dominicans, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think this is the case for a lot of people who decide to chase after religious life. They're drawn to a particular community. And I think the reason is because the church describes a religious community as a person. Hmm. And a person has a personality. And we have chemistry with certain personalities, but we don't with others. And so somebody who enters religious life and starts living it and discerning it very seriously as a postulant or a novitiate. They're trying to figure out, is this this personality of this particular order a personality that I have chemistry with, that I feel myself in and that I feel like I am home when I'm here in this particular order? And so that's why that's why community life is, is so important. In fact, one of the brothers in the previous novice class of mine explained to me that your discernment is going to rely almost solely on community life. Do you jive mm. with this community or do you not? Yeah. And and if we do jive on in this particular community, then it's it's like the best thing that we could we could possibly experience. It's kind of like I was thinking about this analogy before the show. If you've ever been to the March for Life, and I'm sure I'm sure you Kevin and probably oh, sure. you know you guys have been to the March for Life. You think about it 
it's kind of it kind of sounds like a miserable experience to be quite <laughs> frank i mean it's like hey do you want to hop on this bus drive 12 hours through the night get off the bus early in the morning in washington dc and, and go out onto the streets it's probably going to be freezing it's the middle of winter it might be raining there might be snow you're going to be packed shoulder to shoulder you can't really move you don't have easy access to food and water you, there might be people there who disagree with you they they might you know to challenge you and mock you and then when it's all said and done you're going to get right back onto this bus without you know without missing a breath or a beat and drive 12 hours again through the night back home and it's like ah that sounds kind of miserable actually yeah but when, when you go and you experience it you're like this was this was one of the most amazing thrilling experiences i've ever had because you're there with thousands of other people who are as passionate about you, about this particular mission. So you're on mission together, walking together in the same direction, chanting, praying, and all of this. And it's, it's amazing. And that's, that's community life at its best, is all of the elements. They might be kind of challenging. Those vows we talked about, poverty, chastity, and obedience, those aren't easy. But when you're together with your community, praying together, chanting together, living together, it's, it's like it's the most powerful experience that we can have as humans uh and just one final thing pope francis he put it this way when he spoke to a bunch of youth a couple years ago he said that he quoted an old african proverb that says if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together and that's that's the power of community life so when somebody enters religious life they are beginning to experience that that community life and and trying to figure out is this the the community type of personality that I really fit with or is it not should I should I move on try something else yeah so it's a little bit I mean uh, to use analogy I think it's a little bit like dating right like when you start dating someone you're like does my personality jive with them do they you know do they laugh at my jokes right like do I enjoy being with them and typically it's the best I think if someone are dating and they actually go through a difficult period of time like I know Lisa and I had a moment where a moment. Uh, we three months or f- three to four months where, where Lisa was in Argentina, and that was really hard. But we found out a lot more about whether we actually loved each other or not. You know, and I think the same thing. Like you're talking with community life, you get to know like, is this the community? Is this the person that I'm going to be with? And and does this does this work? Do they do they laugh at my jokes? Are they still fun to be with in hard times? Um, you know, to really kind of prove or test that metal of your relationship. Right, right, precisely. And and that's exactly why so one of my my themes from this past year in seminary, not religious life, but in seminary was a quote by the German Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Hmm. And he said that it is not love that sustains a marriage, it is a marriage that sustains love. Hmm. And, and I think if we expand on that, we could say it is not love that sustains the commitment of marriage, it is the commitment of marriage that sustains love. Hmm. Now, this wasn't my theme because I spent my first year of seminary <laughs> thinking about marriage, but I spent a lot of time reflecting upon how commitment, I think, is a necessary property of love. Uh, a commitment is not the end-all, be-all, but it, it is an important property of love. And and so somebody who enters religious life, they have to have a period of, of commitment where they say, I'm all in on this one path for maybe they set a date maybe it's the end of their novitiate year or it's it's eight months out and they say i'm i'm going to practice being as committed as i possibly can all in 
turning off all the other options in my life to see if this is truly what God wants me to do. Because again, God knows what you want to know. He knows He knows where you you want to know. Is this what He wants for you or not? And He'll tell you. But we have to we have to practice commitment to give God the time to be able to to steer the ship in our lives. Yep, that totally makes sense. And as you're as you're discerning this, I mean, and again, if you can imagine uh, as maybe a listener or someone who's uh, of the laity. Um, I think we'd be hard-pressed to be like, hey, you're going to date this girl or you're going to date this guy, and no matter what, for the next eight months, you're going to stick to it and you're going to figure it out. Like most people after two months would be like, hey, if our personalities aren't going well together, like I'm breaking up. But in religious life, you're really trying to make that commitment and in a lot of ways see how long you can last to, to make sure you know before you get out of that uh, that discernment process what that looks like. So it, people are obviously really tried during this experience because it can be hard. You can think no one's laughing at my jokes. This isn't going well. What What's helpful in, in that process as you're making this big commitment to discern, you're putting yourself through this process that can be difficult as far as for your friends and family, uh, you know, people that know you and are, are trying to cheer you on in this experience while you're, you know, obviously at one point in time, you're in religious life with the Dominicans. This last year you've been in a seminary at a diocesan level what what is helpful to you as you go through that process? Uh, I think it's it involves just constant encouragement. Um, another thing, this really really stands out to me. Is like you mentioned, I, I kind of have like gone down a several different paths before now, finally ending up at the seminary. And for instance, my father. My father is an amazing man, hmm. and he's kind of been my my go to guy for guidance. I mean, I have a spiritual director and other friends who will give me advice, but my dad, you know, he's just somebody that I really, really trust. And the thing that that really stands out to him, to about him to me is that throughout my entire life, including these big decisions of vocation, he's never he's never forced me in one particular direction or the other. He, he's actually kind of taken a, an approach of asking me questions to try to help guide, to help me think things through. Mm-hmm. But he's never really said like, Jeff, this is probably what you need to do. He's kind of just asked the right questions. And I know that that's something that they said St. John Paul II was great at. They said, you know, you could be in a, a big room with a lot of people and he would look at you as if you were the only person that was in that room. Yeah. And he would he would ask you questions about your life. Because in the back of his head, he had an idea of where he wanted to lead you in the conversation, but he didn't want to force you into any particular corner. So he would just ask you these deep probing questions to get you to think yourself through whatever thing it was that was on the table. Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's, so a, think, that's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So asking good questions, obviously, I think if you're like in the position of a confidant, right? Like, and you're trying to help someone process through. And I think it's so healthy too, because obviously when you're in seminary or religious life, it can be very all-encompassing, and so it's it's nice to have someone outside that experience at times, probably to ask you questions or help you process. Because um, you probably feel a bit vulnerable sometimes in the community doing that. Um, any, anything else? Maybe if, if if you're not in that confident confidant uh, position, anything else that that folks can do just to you know that that could make your day while you're in seminary religious life. Uh, I, I mean, I think always offering your prayers. Uh, when I was in the Dominican Novitia, we were at a particular parish here in Cincinnati. And so we were constantly around parishioners, and they just, they loved us. I mean, they just, they had so much support for us. Mm. And sometimes if I was having a bad day, just to run into one of the parishioners could totally 
totally flipped things around for me because they were just always happy, joyful, smiling, supportive of me. And again, like you said, we don't want to be pressuring somebody like, hey, man, just pick yourself up off the floor and and keep walking. Like you need to be a religious because we need totally religious and, you know, just like pressuring people moving forward. That's not what we need to do. We need to just be just be there for for this person who might be entering religious life or is in religious life and and just i don't know support them through through love whatever yeah. that looks yeah that's great so yeah just knowing that you're there so that presence um that ability to ask questions to help them process yeah i think that's because obviously at a certain point in times you don't need someone you're like hey i'm good and other times you're like oh i do need someone to talk to and if you know that someone's there then you can reach out and it kind of gives you that that possibility of of uh reaching out to them that's really cool well, those yeah. are our first two points on how to help someone who's in religious life. First was how to help them discern religious life. And then second one is how you can encourage and support them while they are in religious life. And right now, we want to take a couple minutes to look at our hack and our highlight. And our hack is right along the lines of how to help someone in religious life. And uh, Jeff, you mentioned this um, before the show, but you're saying a great hack is just care packages and letters as a great way to help people know that you are there and you're, you're there for them. Any, any examples of a, a care package or a letter you've gotten? Oh, totally. So, so my, in my novitiate, I received this big package, this big brown box and I, I opened it up and inside was this pyramid of different assortments of chocolates oh. and candies one of these chocolate pyramids i don't know how else to call it yeah. but from a, a friends who you know as well the texeras oh, cool. uh, shout out to them yeah. love those guys and it was just like the best thing because not only was it something for me but it was something that i could share with the rest of my community hmm. so stuff like that is great letters are huge because most religious especially early on they're not not allowed to have much communication with people outside of their community sometimes for instance for us we are allowed one hour on the phone every week hmm. one hour on the phone we could call our family friends whatever most of the time i called my family and then i really couldn't have much time on the phone left to try to call other friends yeah but what we could do is we could write letters and and getting a letter from somebody was it was another just thing that would pick you up out of the dumps if you're having a rough day or help you you know just i don't know just it's just an amazing thing to write letters it's something that i think has been lost in our culture to great extent but I think writing a letter, it, sh- it shows like, hey, I c- I'm thinking about you, but also I care enough to sit down and actually write this out. Yeah, uh, It's so much radical from like the texting culture that we live in and all of the stuff on the internet. Just writing somebody a letter, that's a powerful thing. And I feel like f- from a letter, it's really tangible. Like as someone receiving that, like I know someone cares because I can see it. Like emails go by, we don't really see them anymore. Or text messages are on our phone. But like a letter that can sit on your shelf, that can be posted on your wall. And you're like, people do care about me. And you're like, look, and you can point to the letter. So I think, yeah, that's such a great, great hack. Uh, just really simple. Again, lots, a lot of our hacks, but I think that's really important. And then you also had a highlight and something that involved your own discernment of your vocation. I didn't want to give you a chance to explain that highlight as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the highlight is a particular order called the Missionaries of the Poor, started by, if I get his name correct, Father Holong. 
and they were started in Kingston, Jamaica. I actually went on a mission trip with these guys a couple years ago when I was in focus. These guys are just like Mother Teresa's order, the missionaries of the poor. So they reach out serving the poorest of the poor, but they do it in Kingston, Jamaica instead of India. But they're also located in Africa and, and India as well, I think. And they're just amazing, amazing guys. I remember talking to one of the brothers one day. We were at this warehouse, and, he, and there was a bicycle inside. He, he jumped on the bicycle and started riding around. And I was like, hey, brother, when's the last time you were on a bicycle? And he said something like seven years ago. Hmm. I was like, what? These guys give up so much to serve the poorest of the poor. And uh, I, I have a, a news, newsletter article that I, I read a couple years ago, I wanted to, to read it here. It gives you a taste of what their life is like. The article is titled, What's Our Life Like? And they explain how they get up early in the morning. They go to the chapel. They pray. They go to mass. They have breakfast in silence. And then they say, the author quotes, then down to the centers we go. And he hmm. says, 650 homeless and destitute residents live with us. Our work never ends at the centers. Cooking, feeding, cleaning, washing dishes. Then there are the medicines followed by brooming away the debris, changing the residents' clothes. If the beds are filled with mess or wet with urine, we get at it. We brush their teeth, shave the men, then shower everyone. Hmm. It goes on. These people, they had no home. They slept out in the streets under the stars, lonely, forgotten, hungry, half-naked, caked with mud, dressed in old faded rags. So many of them can't walk and are physically or mentally challenged. They have no father, no mother, no sister, no brother, no job, nothing and no one. We can't imagine what it must feel like. Totally rejected, no loved one, often cursed and reviled and rejected by everyone. Mm. But we love them. We take them to ourselves. They have such a great capacity to love, to be grateful, always giving thanks for the home we provide for them. And then the author says, what is our life like? He says, the poor are our lives. We are brothers, the brothers and the priests of the order. We are brothers, really brothers, present to the most needy, day in, day out, loving them, protecting them, praying with them until death do us part. Mm. And I love that, until death do us part. They're using the same language that a couple uses on the day of their wedding because these guys, they get it. They, they get the fact that they too have a spouse, not another human spouse, but a spouse who is the church, who is the needy, and they are dedicated in love to this this spouse of theirs forever. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's an amazing order. I would I would highly encourage people to go online, watch videos, learn about them, support them if you can. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll go ahead and put uh, their link. So missionaries of the poor uh, in Kingston, Jamaica, and we'll go ahead and put that uh, link in our show notes. And I know. Boy, that was the first time I had heard their story and, yeah, super inspired and uh, love to look into giving to them. Just people who just radically, radically serve the poor is, uh, wow, that's that's moving. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. So we are now on to our third point, which I think um, might be our most important one, and that's how to help someone who leaves the religious life. And I think so often we're so excited when somebody's going to seminary and we think they're like, they're the best person in the world. And then I think when people leave religious life, sometimes it can be like in a natural way, like a letdown, like, oh, I thought they were going to become a priest or I thought they were going to become a sister or a nun. And I, I think um, it's so ironic because here's this person who heroically tried to discern a vocation, something that very few people do. Um, and if they, you know, just assuming they discern correctly, like 
They fought the good fight. They went off and did what they felt like God called them to do. Uh, you know, they probably made the right decision not to enter a religious life. But I think often our reaction can be just that. It's kind of like a sigh of, oh, shoot. And, and rather than, hey, way to go. That was awesome. And so, Jeff, I want to, as you've come out of religious life, obviously you entered back in, um, just to kind of process what that experience has been like for you. And again, what would be helpful in that situation as well? Yeah, well, I think you're spot on is that that we can't approach somebody and, and be down about it. Like, oh, man, you know, uh, sorry, you know, sorry. Another one bit the dust, you know, sure. <laughs> we can't we can't do that. We have to encourage them and say, hey, that's great. You discerned well. Now you get to figure out what God might be calling to you to next. Yeah. And and this is an important part of my story. So like I said, I was with the Dominicans for about seven months. And for several reasons, I decided to leave. One reason is I had been spending a lot of time in my novitiate thinking about marriage. I was still kind of mm-hmm. really drawn to that. But when I left, my spiritual director at the time told me something that haunted me. Hmm. This is literally like the day before I left. He said, well, Jeff, maybe you're not called to be a religious priest, but maybe you're called to be a diocesan priest. <laughs> and my, my, my reaction was like, <laughs> great joke, Father. You know, I mean, uh, you know, priests these days, they're good. You know, God gets the best, women get the rest. I mean, it's great, great, great joke, Father. Uh, but he wasn't joking. And, and so I left, and these thoughts of the priesthood continued to haunt me. And it got to the point where I was like, ah, oh, man, ah, oh, oh, I guess I got to do something about this. And, and so I did. I, I decided to start dating a girl. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, I, dated her for a couple months and it was great she was a wonderful young probably very marriable woman for me but i just didn't have peace about being in the relationship so we broke up and when we did i knew what i needed to do next and it was then that i decided to start seeing another girl <laughs> and she was she was also an amazing young lady but i still didn't have peace about being in the relationship and i think that's a huge huge thing that is involved in discernment whether you're thinking about religious life or you've just exited religious life is figuring out what gives me that deep interior peace i was actually uh that was a principle of of uh, saint ignatius of loyola looking for what gives me that deep interior peace because we can we can be really really excited on the outside have a lot of fun be very thrilled in our emotions but have a deep interior conflict and anxiety and that might be a sign we're not on the right path on the contrary we can be very nervous or anxious or afraid in our emotions and on the exterior but deep down have this conviction that i'm doing what god wants me to do and having this great peace about it and that's a great sign that you're you're probably on the right path so for me i spent a lot of time trying to figure out what gives me that deep interior peace and it ended up being the seminary. Yeah. So as you obviously, yeah, discerned out, you're, you're dating, uh, and then you're discerning back in, you're trying to find that peace. Um, and I'm sure just as you exit religious life, you have so many different, one, you've just been in a very different state of life for a long time. You're coming out of that state of life. And so there's just a lot of transition. You don't have the structure that you used to, you, you probably just question like, well, why did God ask me to go to seminary, then come out? What, what, what's a great way to help those folks who are in that situation? They're going through all this process. They're coming out of a structure. They're kind of questioning like, what was that all for? 
Are, are right. there certain things we can say to them that are helpful? Or are there certain things that we can do for them that are helpful? Help us uh, with that. I don't, I don't always know the best things to do. Sure, sure. Well, be positive. Somebody mm-hmm. once said that it's it's sometimes better to say something rather than nothing at all, even if we don't know what we're going to say. Yeah. But say something because it's just encouraging to have another person show their support of you. And so just be confident. I, I would I would direct somebody to Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Mm. For I, I know the plans I have for you for a future and for a hope. This this was the verse that was, it was like all that I could think about after I left my novitiate because it was so consoling. God has plans for my life for a future and for a hope. And, and I want to I wanna share one story. It can be my last big story. Oh, sure. But I have, I have to share this. About a year ago, I got to go to Krakow, Poland for World Youth Day, and it, it was awesome. World Youth Day is awesome. You know, it's it's hot and sweaty and dehydrating, but somehow it's awesome. Yeah. And, and I got off the plane in Poland, and I'm walking to the airport, standing at the baggage claim, and I turned to this lady standing next to me, and I'm like, hey, are you excited to be here? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. How about you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm thrilled. And then suddenly, out of nowhere this lady starts telling me her story. Hmm. And I don't know why she told me her story randomly, maybe because I'm, I'm supposed to share it with other people. And some other people may have heard her story before. Yeah. But she told me that when she was in high school, several years back, she had this routine. Every day around lunchtime, she would go to the cafeteria, she'd pick up a tray with some food, and she'd go to the library, and she would eat her lunch in the library every single day. Hmm. Well, on one particular day, I don't know what year she was in school, but on one particular day, she heard a voice in her head. And she said she wasn't very religious at the time, so it was very, very strange. But she heard this voice tell her, leave school. Hmm. And she was like, no, I mean, I'm, I'm a good student. I'm about to eat my lunch. I'm not going to leave school. But the voice grew and grew and grew, saying, leave school, leave school, leave school. And it became overwhelming and she gave in. She said it was so uncharacter for her. She, she went out to the parking lot, got into her car, drove off. And she said as she was leaving school that day, two high school seniors walked into the cafeteria, dropped off a couple duffel bags, walked out and waited outside. Because in those duffel bags were bombs that were supposed to explode. They were supposed to cause people to run out of the building. And these two guys were waiting outside with guns, ready to shoot up teachers and students as they were fleeing the building. Well, the, the bombs did not go off. So the guys just decided to walk into the school. They started letting off rounds. Hmm. Tragically, 12 students and one teacher died, 10 of whom were in that library where this, this girl at the time was supposed to be eating her lunch, had a voice not told her to leave school. Hmm. It, 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 it stays in history as one of the most tragic and deadly school shootings in our nation's history and people have probably heard of the school before columbine high school and this 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 girl she said after after she survived the thing she asked herself what was that voice and why did it tell me to leave the school Hmm. and some somebody i don't know who it was but somebody simply told her maybe it was god and maybe he has a plan for your life and 
the whole thing was so convicting to her that not only did she have this radical conversion, but a couple years later she decided to join religious life. And that's who I met at the baggage claim in Poland was this religious sister mm. who survived the Columbine shooting and was in Krakow, Poland at World Youth Day. Wow. And so it's like, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for a future and a hope. I would say to somebody who's just left religious life, I don't know quite what's going on in your heart. I know it's probably painful trying mm -hmm. to figure out what you're supposed to do next. There's probably maybe even some suffering, maybe some depression, all these things that you might be struggling through. But never forget that God knows the plans he has for you, plans for a future and for a hope. And he's not going to leave you in this state. He has a plan, and I think it's going to it's going to play out in your life very, very soon, and you'll find this great deep peace doing what God wants you to do for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's so. Uh, I love that story because I think it's just such a great example of how we can encourage people. Obviously, you're really inspired by her story. Um, but as people really leave religious life, just to hear from so many folks that God has a plan for them, because there's probably so many different voices in their minds uh, about their experience, or maybe it's their fault, or maybe they're they're not listening to God. And and for people to encourage them, uh, whether it just be that word of encouragement, or whether with with their own story about. God's plan, just to have that community around them that says, we're cheering you on, and the Lord's still moving in you and working in you. And I think that's that's probably what people need to hear most as they uh, depart religious life. So what a, what, yeah, I love that story. Thanks thanks for sharing that with us, Jeff. And thank you so much for being on the show today. We went through three ways to help people uh, who are entering religious life. First, how to help them discern religious life and be there for them during that process, how to help them as they enter in religious life, and then how to help them if they do uh, actually end up leaving religious life as well. Jeff, do you have any uh, last uh, closing thoughts for us? Yeah, well, thank you also. And and I do, I, I have to say this, it just came to my mind, yeah. is that when people leave religious life, like you said, this is one of the most difficult things because it's like, what am I going to do? What does God want me to do? And the problem is, is that God does not place your worth in what you do. Mm. God simply delights in the fact that you are. Mm. fact that you are is enough for him and so if that's that's the goal is just to be just to be with god and if we can learn to just be then god will tell us what he wants us to do yeah absolutely i think for all these points that that's awesome is just to no matter as they're entering in or coming out just to value them as a person more than even that decision as good as that decision is just to value them uh as a person i think is absolutely huge well, that is our show today. Thanks again to Jeff. Uh, if you like the show, uh, want to help spread uh, the show to others, uh, love for you to go on iTunes and give us a rating, give us a review. That's super helpful uh, for uh, others learning about the show. That's all for today. Be saints. It's worth it.